1: Hello creeps, it's me, John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper, and you're listening to Chronicles from the
2: Crypt.
3: there i'm casualty chris and this is father malone and we are the hosts of chronicles from the crypt a twice a month look at the cult horror anthology series tales from the crypt that originally aired on hbo from 1989 to 1996
2: now, on each of these podcasts, we're doing two episodes of Tales from the Crypt. And along the way, we've been doing a lot of bonus episodes, much more than we originally intended to do, as a matter of fact. Uh, we're doing tangentially related Tales ephemera a whole lot lately. We've been doing a lot of Creep Show. If you've been listening to those, thank you so much and keep listening. And uh, yeah. <laughs>
3: We have definitely done more of that recently than we have done of Tales from the Crypt.
2: Yeah, that we definitely have. So uh, let's, get, let's get back on the Tales from the Crypt horse, if you will.
3: On this episode of Chronicles from the Crypt, we're going to be talking about Season 4, Episode 3 and 4, On a Dead Man's Chest, and Seance.
1: Greetings, Poison Girls. Are you ready to rock and roll? Good. Then slip into your gore jacket and prepare to sing along. Can't carry a tomb? That's okay. I'm just playing by ear myself. Tonight's terror tune concerns a young headbanger who lets a woman get a little too far under his skin. I call this decomposition on a dead man's chest.
3: So, On a Dead Man's Chest aired June 27, 1992. I believe they showed the first three episodes of season four on premiere night for Tales from the Crypt. It is directed by Billy Friedkin. Yes, the director of The Exorcist. Written by Larry Wilson. Stars Yul Vasquez, Paul Hip, and Tia Carrera. And it's a really poor retelling of a telltale heart.
2: Oh, boy, isn't it? Uh, it's it's even worse than that.
3: Yeah, it is. it is a really bad segment of the show episode i guess cuz this is a this is a episode as opposed to a segment but god it is not good it is just no. it feels like the sam kinnison lee arnberg episode but not nearly as like it n- not nearly as interesting
2: like uh if that episode had zero interesting characters or technique or any fun at all Oh, uh, this okay. So, uh, dead on a dead man's chest. Uh, let's uh, put aside the uh, sea shanty uh, origins of its title. Uh, actually, let's dig into that because uh, now this was a vault of horror, vault of horror number twenty-five, written and drawn originally by Johnny Craig, who is not the best artist and or writer uh, at the EC uh, comics line. Now, um, this is one of those episodes where. You know we always hope that the writers will uh, will take a detour and reinterpret it in their own way, and sometimes that works great, and in other cases we get this particular episode now in the original comic book I don't know if you read it chris it um, it was actually a love triangle, and uh, oh. yeah Yay. so I guess
1: we
2: yeah so I guess we avoided that, but in the comic, it is a guy who owns a like uh he owns a fleet of like tramp steamers and he is married a he's a like an old fat man he's married the young hot girl who only married him for her money he's been waiting for his brother to come back to back to back to land he's been out at sea for like two to three years the brother shows back up he loves the brother unconditionally wants him to meet his new wife but the brother who comes back uh hates him and uh immediately falls for the wife they plot to kill him. Now, the the husband has been saving the space on his chest for the, the ultimate tattoo. He's been waiting his entire life. And now that his brother and his wife and he are all reunited, they go while he's completely plastered after a night out and gets a tattoo of them on either side of him holding his hands. Then they bludgeon him to death. And when the police arrive... The police look at the tattoo, and the tattoo has now changed, so it's the wife bludgeoning him to death, and a brother, like, looking on, and then, ah, the jig is up. So, not a great comic, not a great story, so once it, like, sort of deviated at the beginning, I was like, oh, okay, well, they're going to be do something new and interesting with this. No, they did not. Good Lord. William Friedkin, man. You directed yeah. Sorcerer.
3: Yeah, that's that's the weird bit of this that I don't get is William Friedkin. Why why rope him in to this? I mean, look, you know,
2: by the early 1990s, William Friedkin's film career was over. Um, he had done sporadic work here and there. a movie called rampage that kind of never got released that was a uh, like a serial killer movie Uh, he had done one called the guardian which was this kind of rote horror movie about a possessed of a evil tree nanny it was really bad um so i can understand him wanting to continue to work i mean you know we on our other podcast about twilight zone we saw an episode of that that he did which was actually pretty good uh this like there's just no style or skill to the direction at all like if you had told me any any random person had directed it i would have believed it if you said to me this was directed by the director of the french connection and the exorcist i'd be like absolutely not you're out of your mind
3: yeah that's the thing i don't understand he's like it doesn't feel like he elevated it or brought anything to it at all frankly like none yeah
2: it's, it's absolutely shocking. And on top of all of that, like, okay, so, like, say he just did a workmanlike job, which is what he did. That's fine. But, there, like, are there is there any one character who is in any way likable in this entire thing? Like, do you, like, the lead character is such a fucking dick that you're just waiting for him to get his comeuppance, and it's not even that great when we get it.
3: Yeah, no, in in typical telltale heart fashion, it's all self-inflicted at the end. Except in this time, instead of digging up a heart underneath the floorboards, it's cutting the tattoo off of his chest. Okay.
2: Sure. Sure, why not? And then, what, I don't know, he goes to jail with a giant wound or something? Like, who, I don't know. Like, even... Oh, okay. So if you haven't seen the episode, I I, I don't encourage you to watch it. But if, if you haven't, it's about this band who's just come off tour. And, like, the lead singer is upset that the guitarist has married this girl, played by Tia Carrera. And, like, they, he, like, calls her out on stage. Like, this bitch, she's breaking up the band. She's such a drag. And, the, like, there's this rift between the band members. And then, like, it just goes insane, man. Like, it's all over the place with this... Like these two sort of like groupy characters hanging out backstage, and one of them is has a tattoo
3: that comes to life. I, I, what, what was going on here, man? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't know, I don't understand. And what I, what I don't get is if there is going to be a comeuppance, it should have been better than it was, and it wasn't. And the whole idea of the tattoo to me just feels really shoehorned in.
2: Yeah, it's like, you know, the original comic had the tattoo, so we've got to incorporate the tattoo or else this isn't, like, an adaptation. Because other than the tattoo, eh, there, there's, like, really no connection whatsoever uh, to the original comic. So, uh, you know, I, I like the idea of a tattoo coming to life and meeting out vengeance, but then don't take it away at the end and go, no, it was just all in his head. I mean, what? What? It's really crazy. And by the way, the groupie who supplies him the tattoo artist and then once he's upset that he has the tattoo because it now features the face of Tia Carrera on his chest, like she's like, "Oh, I've got a great plastic surgeon." Like, what is this girl's occupation? Groupie. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a groupie to the stars, man. She like, you know, she's got all the hookups. It's kind of crazy. That oh, must by be the way, what it you, is? Did you catch the name of the band? Uh, I didn't. Exorcist.
3: <laughs> oh, oh boy god wow yeah, don't remind us that you did something so good when we're watching something so bad
2: <sighs> truly dreadful that lead actor I don't I, I didn't even bother to look up what else he's done he was so unappealing he felt like Michael Imperioli with like zero charisma
3: he's been in a fair amount of stuff uh, bad boys to Runaway. I am bride. shocked
2: by this was he like you know like a uh, like guy in back of room or like thug number two because that seemed his level
3: well, I mean that's probably kind of what his <sighs> that seems to be his ability level, doesn't it?
2: yeah man, and like Tia Carrera, she was like she was the it girl there for a little while for a couple because of, years of what because of 90s.
3: Wayne's because of Wayne's world, right. Yeah, but, yeah,
2: yeah, I mean, I think that's where most people, like, I had seen her in a bunch of stuff, like, sort of leading up to it, but, like, she was never my cup of tea because she has zero charisma whatsoever, and uh, she just sort of demonstrates that once again here.
3: Well, she's not given anything to do, and even if she was given something to do, I'm not sure I would trust her with doing that stuff to begin with.
2: Yeah, man. Also, does, the whole band lives together? Is that the, is that the idea we're getting here?
3: Or that he lives at their house? It's so weird. It's just so... it's not good at all. It's, again, I mean, and look, this is the third episode of the fourth season. What I don't understand here is, is you know, this is the final episode of the opening night of the show. And, God, what a fucking mess. And also, why, on top of everything else, did you waste any amount of budget on having a, a practical effect with the dragon popping off of the chest? Like, why? Oh, didn't it look great? No. It looked like a oh, hand no. puppet. It was so
2: funny, man. I don't know. I was cackling while I was watching it. So, at least I got some bit of entertainment out of this But you know what episode. I mean,
3: right? Like why waste oh, yeah. the amount out of the budget on it?
2: I think they should have spent all the budget on it. It should have been just this guy trapped in a room with that goddamn dragon the entire episode. I I I, I don't know. I can't I can't begin to uh, uh, conceive of a way to save this episode. It is so wrong-headed from the get-go. It I don't know. This is as bad as I've seen a Tales from the Crypt episode, I gotta admit.
3: No, I I agree 100%. It is not, uh, it is a bad, really bad, not good, even in the slightest, episode. And I'm disappointed.
2: Yeah, like, they don't even have a good song at the beginning. Like, that band starts playing and everyone in the crowd is, like, cheering. And I'm like, what the fuck are you cheering? Like, they're not even a good band. This is, oh, this is just bad. Garbage. Garbage.
3: Yeah, this garbage. is a, this is a definite skip as far as I'm concerned. One hundred percent
2: skip. I do not remember seeing this when it came out. I'm glad I didn't. Then I'm uh, I, I feel bad for myself that I actually watched it this time.
3: <laughs> well, and the and the other thing about it is, again, we've said this before. We'll say it again. Why lead with this?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is your opening night. This is your you're doing 3 instead of the usual 2. Okay, get it. Uh the first two weren't that spectacular, and I guess you're gonna, they ended with this one like uh well, what what's going on? Shouldn't they it, This is season 4, man. Shouldn't they have hit their stride? Like what's going on in the offices?
3: I don't know. This this should have been in my mind when the show like you said is really like going farther. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and like it, we know what we're doing now. We've been yeah. doing this enough years. We know how to make these happen. Should be taking advantage
3: works. of what it is.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can say that they were t- they were taking advantage of the uh, of the uh, the nudity ratio in this particular. Oh episode.
3: yeah, I honestly for the, forgot that there was nudity in this show.
2: There's a ton in this one.
3: Yeah, in this episode, yeah, there sure is. But I had kind of forgotten there was nudity in this show. It's yeah. like.
2: It's a show that's sort of, uh, it's so sexual and so good. Like, if only somebody had been
3: (laughs) been covering this show up until now. Yeah, up until now, no one has been covering this show. Like, it would have been really crazy if someone someone talked about Tales from the Crypt, gave the show its due. God, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? I'm so glad
2: somebody is finally starting this past week doing that.
3: Yeah, I'm so glad that I haven't been covering Tales from the Crypt on and off since 2015. But now that someone <laughs> else is finally covering it, the show is getting its due. As a mature and sexual piece of, of comic book schlock, which it is comic book schlock. <laughs> but fine. If you know what we're talking about, we're not going to name names. Uh, it irked us. If you saw it and it irked you, we're all in the same camp. Let's just say
2: other podcasters have decided to deign to cover this particular show when others have been doing it for some time.
3: Yeah, we're not the only Tales from the Crypt podcast. Even there's like no, that, no. That's the thing. Like there, are, there are a
2: bunch of them out there.
3: Like you know, to, do all, to all of them have John success? Do all of them have John Kassir doing the intro? Uh, no, no. But where I also know that there are other podcasts out there and would never say, well, we're the only ones because I know we're not. Of course not. But I'm also not going to sit here and say, well, it's an adult sexual show because it's not an adult show and it's sexual, but the sexuality in the show comes in between telling an interesting story most of the time.
2: Yeah, like let's not try and convince people to watch it based on that.
3: Yes, it's adult and sexual. It also has tons of love triangles. Would you use that as a reason to watch the show as well?
2: Maybe we should.
3: Yeah, well, that was a comment that went unanswered. Shocking, of course. So yeah, exactly. Wow, it's funny. Anyway, we're not looking. To, we're not. We don't have a check mark next to our Twitter name. <laughs> we're not a real person. We're, we're just, not official. Right, we're just two guys who love Tales from the Crypt doing a podcast about it. The undiscovered show that is Tales from the Crypt. No one's heard about it until today.
2: Thank God someone's out there doing it.
3: Yeah, Thank God they're doing live podcasts on Tales from the Crypt, because if they weren't, who would be? Nobody. But all jokes aside, this is a bad episode.
2: Um, Yeah, don't watch this one. It's terrible. Skip it immediately.
3: Yeah, it's not good. And don't watch it, because if you watch it and you come to the realization it's bad, we told you. We tried to, at least
2: you've been warned
3: you have been warned so let's move on to the next episode Seance
1: one of those hot LA days. things were about to get interesting when she walked in her name was Samantha and she was beautiful a regular corpus delicti with a great chest cavity that is Something in her socket said beware. Must have been the way they said hello to me. So, sweetheart, you say your husband's been cheating on you with another ghoul? That it? Well, I'll be glad to hear your story, but first I've got a tawdry tale of my own to tell. It's about a couple of scam artists who want to make a killing, provided they don't kill each other first. I call it... Seance.
3: so seance aired july 4th 1992 it is directed by gary flader written by harry anderson it stars the always brilliant kathy moriarty ben cross also a little friend friend of the uh friend of the alpha god what the fuck is the name of the house An animal house
2: delta house
3: delta house john vernon playing once again an old crotchety man the episode john focuses-
2: vernon john so vernon. good
3: he's great uh and the episode focuses on kathy moriarty and her partner played by ben cross who tried to steal an old man's fortune end up killing him so then they put on a seance for his blind wife uh that they do
2: uh,
3: it's not great no nope. because of the framing device in which they use to tell the story yeah i i totally agree like they should never have had the episode have a flashback to when the character is sitting in the cabinet unless it, that flashback is meant to be John Vernon's flashback but that doesn't right. make any sense because like, not they at all. show well they show stuff that's going on that only Ben Cross could have seen happen but the bigger point here is Ben Cross's character pretty much dies immediately
2: yeah i guess like moments after his last bit of narration
3: right so It's just a really weird framing device to use to get the plot from point A to point B.
2: Yeah. Now, in this case, this is, um, once again, not based on a Tales from the Crypt comic. This is Haunt of Fear number 12, once again, written and uh, drawn by Mr. Johnny Craig. Um uh, th- I should also point out that uh, if you listen to our very first bonus episode, we covered uh, the Tales from the Crypt film from the early 1970s produced by Amicus Productions, which featured one of the best stories uh, ever committed to film called Poetic Justice. Poetic Justice appeared in the very same issue of Haunt of Fear. Um, the plot line is very similar uh, to the comic in this case, but... These are two con men who are constantly using a medium to convince people to give them their money. So it actually made a little more sense in the comic that they have – what they do is they convince this guy to – give them some money and as soon as he leaves the room and they think he's left they start commenting on like what a sucker he is but he hasn't left at all he was just outside listening to them and he comes back in and exposes them they end up killing him they can't get the money so then they hatch the plan to get the wife in there to uh uh to uh to participate in the seance um weirdly there, are, there was actually a Tales from the Crypt episode also... Not episode, but comic book story also named Seance. Uh, and I read both of them. And the actual Tales from the Crypt one was better than, uh, than the one that they decided to adapt here. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's very similar to the comic as far as the, uh, the, the Haunt of Fear that it's based on. Um, uh, I, I like the fact that this was a period piece. I always like when they do that. Um, but overall as much as i enjoy everyone sort of on screen like this one just didn't quite gel together it is a thousand times better than the last story we just watched the dead man's chest but um still just felt like mm, not enough i don't know what, you, what what did you take away
3: my big takeaway from this is the whole supernatural aspect feels so tacked on that it almost doesn't even matter because Again, the way the framing device is used is that it's a – it's almost a story with its own bookend. Yeah, a really really,
2: out-of-left-field bookend,
3: right? Right, right, because, like, you have – it opens, and then it goes to that story where you spend three-quarters of the time, and then it comes back out for the ending, which is a literal two, three minutes, if that. And then you go to the actual episode bookend. And it's just so weird because you don't – the story feels bizarre. You're getting back into the – you're getting into the story in media res on top of everything else. And, yeah, the people on screen are great. Ben Cross, Kathy Moriarty, John Vernon. But, I mean, you know where this is going more or less. You actually know where it's going because it's a fucking flashback. So you know that that he dies somehow – And you know that they're going to get their comeuppance because they're clearly con artists. It's such a weird episode because (laughs) there's just nothing going on. I would even say that nothing... It feels like when you get to the end of this episode, you're just like, well, nothing happened. Truly,
2: uh, you know, and... You know, like the con itself is not all that great, and then the the way to correct the con when it's gone wrong is so weird and out of left field. Like, you know, there's no sort of basis for like make this guy like a, a, a like a, a habitual seance. You know, uh, and why uh, is he
3: fucking his cousin? Like his supposed yeah, cousin. Like he doesn't so... he doesn't come off as like a scuzzbag until he fucks his cousin. But even then, it's like. I don't understand why... What?
2: Well, it is Kathy Moriarty. Uh, if she were my cousin, I'd probably be interested too.
3: Wow. That's...
2: <laughs> just saying. Uh, I understand his motivation for wanting to have sex with her. I just don't know uh, structurally what was going on here, or payoff-wise, or, I, you know, I don't know. But It's just like it's It's not the worst we've seen. I mean I, I I didn't feel like, oh my God, end this episode already like I did with the last one, but at the same time, like, I just felt like it was so scattershot in its point of view, and you know and this was written by Harry Anderson, was it not? Yes, like like, you know, night court Harry Anderson uh
3: yes, that Harry Anderson right, who himself Which is, is so like, weird.
2: Yeah, man, it's so unusual. Like now, he starred in what I think it was a season two episode. He played. It was a Corman's Calamity, so you know clearly he had some sort of familiarity with these people, and probably was like, "Hey, I'd like to do one." But the thing is, you know, Harry Anderson played a character on Cheers Forever called Harry the Hat, who was, like, this ultimate sort of con man. So when I saw his name, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be, like, the twistiest, curviest episode of all time. Like, it's going to be double-cross upon double-cross. And it is not. It's just so straight ahead. They, like, just try and convince a guy that he needs to pony up a little bit of dough in order to get this inheritance. And then they fucking drop him down an elevator shaft and, like, and now let's convince his wife with a fake seance. I was just like, I... It, it felt like, and this feels like a lot of the episodes, the, the writers come to it with not only a lack of understanding of how supernatural works in fiction, but no actual genuine love of it. They just know that it's a Tales from the Crypt, so it has to end in a certain way, so now we're going to end it that way. As There opposed has to be to
3: the- a reveal in the last minute of the episode.
2: Right, we need a twist, and, you know, because it's Tales from the Crypt, it's going to be a supernatural twist, which is fine, but not in this case, man. This just feels like, again, season four, brother, like, what is happening here?
3: Yeah, that's what I I don't understand here, uh, Father Malone, like, and this is the thing, going back to those kind of snarky, look, we're making some snarky comments about some other podcasters who have taken it upon themselves to regale everyone with the magical stories of how great Tales from the Crypt is. And I think we need to, like, have a serious, genuine conversation about the quality of this show right now. Because so far, season four has not been good. Like, not at all. And season three had some good moments. And this is the thing, like, what I don't remember is the show being less than great most of the time i don't remember that
2: nor do i like i remember the show with a with a halcyon sort of a haze like you know i mean I, I think that's true of every show like you go back and watch you know people will remember all the best little twists in the twilight zone but if you go back and watch that show there's like 30 episodes per season maybe three of them were really good and the most of them were okay and like Pretty much, most of them were bad. It's the same thing people think about Saturday Night Live. Like you know, we're we're so attuned as a culture to like watching best ofs. You know, this were the 10 best moments and like, yeah, those were great. Every single one of them is a winner. But like you got to figure for like 10 good sketches on Saturday Night Live, there were like 150 that were complete and total misfires. And that's what I'm rediscovering now that I'm, uh, you know, sort of studiously uh, reinterpreting Tales from the Crypt is like there's a lot of chaff in this week, man.
3: Well, and that's, and that's the thing about this show that again, with that nostalgia glasses is like you said, it is easy to pick. Oh, in season three, there were these really cool episodes. Do you not know that there were like 20 fucking episodes since a good, like not like in season two, there's like. 20 episodes, almost. In season three, there's just shy of 20 episodes. There's 14 episodes. And one of those episodes is ostensibly two episodes together. Season four is 14 episodes. So you've got these seasons that are pretty long, and everyone wants to pretend like the whole show is great. It's not. And that's the unfortunate part, because I love the show, but I'm realizing more and more that I think I like the idea of the show, more than a lot of what is being executed on screen, and there are some episodes coming up this season that I am not looking forward to at all, at all. Like, ma- like, like Maniac at Large.
2: <laughs> yeah, man, it's like, I, oh my. We God. know that there are bad episodes, but like, and I, so I remember the really bad ones, and then I remember the really good ones, and in my mind, the really good ones outweigh the bad. But maybe I'm just pinning my hopes that. Those episodes, when they come, the really good ones, like, even it out for the rest of the season. Look, there have been some episodes so far—I mean, we're in season four now. There are some episodes from the past three seasons that I'm just like, that is as good as television gets. So, like, overall, I can't be mad at the series in general. But, you know, looking back now, like— like, if you go through all of the stories that were available in, t- in any of the EC comics, because they can draw—obviously, they're drawing from all of them. It's Haunt of Fear. It's Vault of Horror. It's Tales from the Crypt. And in, some, in a lot of cases, shock suspense stories, two-fisted tales. Like, you cannot convince me that there wasn't gold to be mined, and why not take that extra step to do it? Like, it just always feels like they're like, yeah, that's good enough. That, that sort of fits the bill. Go ahead and film that. Like, no, don't. Like, take a, take a year off and fucking get the best possible shit we can and then fucking film that. Like, it's, it's actually a little bit frustrating. I mean, look, I'm not down on the show overall, but like, the fact that these episodes keep happening and there are only so many you're, you're getting per season,
3: it's kind of shocking, you know? Like, yeah. It, it well, it is because it it's supposed to be you know this. Uh, it's not an adult sexual show, so shut your fucking mouth. That shit's just that's not the way this show is. This is a schlocky based off of a comic book show, and it never seems to steer into that enough. No, I mean. It, you know,
2: we we've said this before. They're they're on HBO. They can pretty much get away with a, with whatever they want. Like they I'm can't. sure there was. They, a, can,
3: they can get away with anything. They can
2: either. and they do. And when they do, holy shit, it's so good. Um, but like you know, it, you know, I, I I don't know. I I I just said it. I'm gonna say it again. It always feels like they're just like hiring people who they have sort of some relationship with or they have – or the person has some sort of track record and they're just letting them go and do whatever they want instead of like, like – ultimately like who's steering the ship? You know what I mean? Like there's got to be one person pointing and going, that's not good enough. I don't care if you're William Friedkin. I don't care if you're Harry Anderson. This is subpar. Go make this better. And if you won't do it, let's hire somebody else who will. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know, man. Like
3: No, I don't know either because, again, it's there seems to be a lack of a showrunner with the show. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look, you look back
2: at the EC comics. You had William Gaines sort of running the whole thing. Like, a lot of those comics... You know, the stories were okay, but then they weren't holding themselves to any sort of higher standards. But I guarantee you, this show, what it really needed was a William Gaines. Like, whoever's running the fucking factory here is just not pulling their weight. Like, it's just... As long as we have every couple of episodes a zombie pop out or a fucking werewolf show up, like, that's good enough, right? That's what people want. It doesn't feel like there's any love driving it. Like, somebody who really gives a shit about horror and supernatural and twists and the original comics themselves trying to say, like, let's do this the best. Um, You know, and I've I've leveled that same sort of argument, you know – Robert Zemeckis, who's one of the, uh, the executive producers on this show, like, he ended up creating a, uh, a company called Dark Castle which was adapting William Castle's films, and like, on the surface, that's, you know coming from a place of love, like, clearly he was a fan of William Castle and his work early on, but like, the movies that they remade, it always feels like this, it always feels like, eh, that's good enough no, it's not good enough, do it better like, it's not good enough to, like, have one idea that supersedes the original comic that was meant for kids in the 1950s. Make it good for adults right now. Like, I don't know. I'm getting a little too rabid about this right now. But, uh, you know, it, it it's frustrating because this
3: well, could have – Well, and it's, it's – ra- your your rabidity is matched only by mine because, again – and this does come back to these comments that were made on Twitter. People who don't sit and actually watch the show from the beginning – To where we are now, can pick and choose and pretend like the show is amazing. Yeah, some episodes are amazing, but on the whole,
2: no man, no man who is death three is a crowd. Like, those are the only two off the top of my head that I can point to and go, that's fucking brilliant. That's as good as anything you're ever going to get on television. And the fact that we have so many other episodes that don't even come close to that is really, uh, like, it angers me. Like, that, you know, there were, there are, there's so much talent out there waiting to work. And the fact that they're just kind of shrugging and going, yeah, good enough, like, really burns me, man.
3: Well, I agree 100%. It's un- it's unfortunate, and it just feels like a massive wasted waste of op- opportunity,
2: doesn't it? So, yeah. So screw you, tales from the crypt. No, I'm kidding. Oh, like, <laughs> I'm sure we have some golden nuggets like uh, like on the horizon, but you know, so far season four has been just a tragic uh, oversight. Uh, like what what the series is capable of, and what they're kind of rotely giving us is. Uh, uh, just unfair to the viewers, man. Unfair. I,
3: I agree. And so speaking of that, on the next episode of Chronicles from the Crypt, if you continue to listen to us after we've <laughs> said that the show is garbage, no, I mean, again, we would not be getting this fired up about this if we didn't love the show as much as we do. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean that's, it, I mean, that's the way is it is, right? like, I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not going to fight with you as a person unless I care about you so much that I think you can take it. I think this show can take it. Like you know what I mean? Like fans of the yeah. show should be able to take some criticism here because if, like, if it you if cannot... it didn't reach
2: heights uh, of of greatness on occasion, uh, then I wouldn't care. I'd be like, yeah, that was a middling show. But like my memories of this show, like are are born out when I go back and watch those episodes that I'm remembering. Like yeah, it was that good. It had the potential to be that good without all that much effort, seemingly. So fucking do that.
3: That's and that I think for me. And clearly for you is the, is the bigger issue at hand here is it's taking everything that I would defend or talk about the show in pot in a positive way and just kind of saying, yeah, right. Fucker.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay. Yeah. We had that really good episode, but you know what? As long as we got a fucking vampire show up in episode five, like, yeah, that's fine. You know, screw you and your memories of the original comic And what you're trying to get out of this one, like, you know, we're just doing our job. Feels like people cashing a fucking paycheck, and I cannot abide that.
3: Well, and again, this also comes back to what we're talking about now with the Creepshow reboot. It feels very similar. And like, eh, you know, whatever. People will like it, and people will go to bat for it, but who cares? We don't actually have to, like, try Feels very similar.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, you know I've, I've enjoyed a couple of those Creepshow episodes more than you. I think some of, those episodes, some of those episodes are definitely better than what we've been getting for all of season four so far of Tales from the Crypt, which is crazy to me because these are not based on the original comics. These are based on a movie based on those comics or at least sort of inspired by them. So, you know, what are they doing right that this show wasn't? And uh, I really can't put my finger on it right now, but um, yeah, I mean, it must have
3: had, it I, has. I mean, it has an actual defined showrunner. That has to be what it is.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, one uh, that you know, I think you know, before 10, 15 years ago, people didn't even, I don't think, realize that there was a person sort of like you know, guiding but there the way. It was a quote unquote,
3: unquote showrunner, right? Somebody I think like J reading- J. Abrams and Joss Whedon are like the two big ones when I think of people that kind of like made waves as like a showrunner.
2: Yeah, because they hired publicists to let everyone know that they were doing that.
3: Well, wow. um, if, if, <laughs> if your ego was giant and your penis was small, you would do the same thing. I
2: certainly would. <laughs> so I can't fault them in that regard. But like, you know, it's it has become more and more uh, like uh, uh, prevalent or uh, like at least relevant that whoever is running the show is... You know, I, like, I couldn't tell you right now who was running the show on Toast of Crypt. That's my failing as a podcaster talking about the show, and I apologize because I'm going to get to the bottom of this because whoever's whoever's at the helm right now is really dropping the fucking ball, and uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm sure, like I said, things are going to get better, but uh, for now, garbage.
3: I agree 100%, which brings me to the next stand of episodes we're going to be watching. Which yay? I uh, Well, yay for the second, maybe not for the first. We're going to be talking about, on the next episode of Chronicles from the Crypt, Beauty Rest, and one of the best episodes of the show, if I remember it correctly, What's Cookin'? Featuring ah, Christopher, Chris, Christopher Chris Reeve. Christopher
2: Reeve, yes. I actually have a personal stake in that particular episode.
3: Ha, no pun intended. <laughs> Steaks. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> So until then, where can people find you, Father Malone?
2: Well, I won't plug this show, which you're already listening to, which I tend to do. Uh, You can get me on uh, YouTube. Check out my YouTube channel on Five Films. I've got two shows, uh, Unaired Pilots and You've Never Seen. You can also hear me over on... Dreams for Sale the Twilight Zone 85 podcast another anthology television series where uh, the people at the helm were paying a little bit more attention uh, and on occasion uh, more often than not you can also hear me on the Culture Cast that is your show Chris I don't know if you're aware of that
3: I am aware of that
2: oh my god well I'm on it sometimes
3: You sure aren't <laughs> and when I'm not here, you can find me on a couple podcasts I do: Kolchak tapes, where I talk about Kolchak, the Night Stalker, one-season show where you talk about shows that only lasted one season. Big thanks, as always, to John Kassir for the intro to the podcast. If you want to find more about the podcast, go to ChroniclesFTC.com. Follow us on Twitter at ChroniclesFTC, and we're at we're just Chronicles from the Crypt on Facebook, so uh, go over there and harass us and tell us about how terrible our opinion is.
2: Chris, if anyone responds to anything, I'll send them one of our beautiful new keychains.
3: That's true, yeah. Send them a keychain. Even if our little pal who uh, just discovered "Tales from the Crypt, uh, if you respond, we'll send you a keychain, too. Yeah, man. Yeah, so you can put it on your
2: keyring. It's got a photograph of actual fans of the show on it. (laughs) Weird! (laughs) Crazy. (laughs)